0: For about 15 years now, I have shared the newsroom with my guest this week. Not only is he a newsman, quite funny, but he's also an author. And his subject of his book is what happens to journalists sometimes when we cover a story and that story leaves a lasting impact on us. Marvin Bartlett has worked for WDKY Fox 56 since its inception in 1995, but today we're not talking news. We're talking about his new book. It's an expanded version of his first that he published in 2002 and how one little boy has continued to touch Marvin's life and countless others nearly 20 years after his death. From WKYT Podcast, this is Uniquely Kentucky. I'm your host, Amber Potts. Barbara Barlett, welcome to Uniquely Kentucky.
1: Thank you, Amber.
0: Folks may or may not know this, but we share a newsroom together in the evenings. We have had a wonderful partnership between WKYT and WDKY where we share that newsroom. I've had the pleasure of being there with you now. I guess it's been 15 years. Um, First of all, I said we weren't going to talk news, but we have to talk a little news. Sure. How did you even get into the news world? I was always
1: a news junkie. You know, I grew up in a farm community where we only got three TV stations, so the news was always on every night at dinner time, and I just was fascinated at an early age uh, about uh, the stories that people told, and, you know, I never really dreamed, I guess, that from my hometown there in West Virginia that I could do this kind of a thing, but... Uh, so I'm really doing the job I always wanted to do. And like I say, I think it came from growing up in a house where the news was on all the time.
0: I think a lot of people think that we get into news because we just want to be on TV, and that's not the case. You are a guy that I know feels the same way I do. We love telling stories, and we love people.
1: That's right. And if I worked for a newspaper for a long time and really thought that's probably where I would end up, a newspaper or a magazine. Um And it wasn't until maybe my senior year in high school when somebody came to a career day who was on a local TV station that I even thought about being on TV. So yeah, that was not my motivation.
0: (laughs) You first published your book, The Joy Card, in 2002. People may or may not know that about you. You are an author. Uh, You've now got this expanded book, The Boy Who Delivered Joy. And this book came after a meeting with a young man that, man, he has continued to touch so many lives, Jarrett Minear. For folks that didn't know Jarrett, They don't know his story, tell me about him.
1: Well, Jarrett was a Jessamine County boy who was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma at the age of two and a half. That's a rare bone cancer. And he was one of the youngest people at that time to ever be diagnosed with that. And uh, so he spent his entire childhood in and out of hospitals going for chemotherapy treatments and other kind of treatments. He lost his leg by the time he was three um, he had a metal plate put in the skull, lining of his skull, and he just uh, had setback after setback. But because he was never around children very much and was mostly around adults, he was super wise, super smart, spoke like an adult, and I think that's what struck me about him. The first time I ever saw a piece of tape from him was like, "Wow, that kid is incredible!" Because you know, as as uh, how difficult it can be to interview a child. And this was actually the news conference at UK when he was uh, rolling out his project, Jarrett's Joy Cart. And I just was throwing the videotape in the middle of the newsroom and said, here, just look at this and write up some little thing for the newscast. But I was really taken with it, like how, how incredible he was as a speaker. And his idea was to collect toys. Delivered to the other patients at the hospital, rolled roll around what he called his joy cart, room to room. And what he said, even at that young age, was this isn't really about the toys. It's just giving them something to look forward to and knowing that someone's going to come and visit them.
0: I would imagine when you looked at that video in, in there for the first time and you thought, man, there's a story here. And it's not a story for you, but it's like, how can I share this young man's wisdom at this age with so many other people? And you just feel like, I've got to get this out there. So when did you realize there's more, and I really want to do more on this story?
1: Well, that very first time I saw it, you know how often we do a story that's only 30 or 45 seconds long, and it's here today going tomorrow, and it it could have gone nowhere. And I thought, we are just not doing this justice. I was immediately taken. I was teary-eyed. I'm a softy. And I said, you know, I, I just realized this is just, first off, great journalism. This this is silly to leave all this tape on the edit room floor and not show it to people. Uh, so I immediately decided, you know, I guess I won't do something about this tomorrow. But I'm going to go back in 30 days and see if his little idea has picked up steam, is really has been realized, and he's still doing this. This toy drive every week. So that's what happened 30 days later. I went and got to meet Jarrett face to face for the first time and, and go with him as he made his rounds in the hospital.
0: What was that like? Because I know that um, it's very special when we get to insert ourselves into other people's lives and be able to be given that moment. I find it to be an honor when people will allow us into their lives like that. So what was that moment like when you went with him and especially when he's wheeling that cart around?
1: Well, there was a lot of, I mean, he's called the joy cart, and there was a lot of joy just to be with him and to see how kids reacted when he came into the room. And I could tell he was really proud of his project. You know, he he had come up with a business plan. His mother was a teacher, so because he didn't get to go to school very much, he had a lot of homeschooling. And one of his projects was, to well, if you're going to do this joy cart, then you need to come up with the business plan. You need to write the letters and ask for the donations and figure out how this is going to work. And he pretty much made it all happen at the age of nine. And so I could tell he was really proud of it. But, so that made me really feel good to, you know, let him share that and, and not let that little idea just kind of fade into the background.
0: Well, one story could easily be told on TV and then put on the shelf. But this kind of became a, a series of stories for you over time. And that's always very special in itself, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it really snowballed. And I, I have some pride in that, that I did that longer story because I think that's what led to some great things. Uh, right after I aired my first story, We had a guy working in the studio at the time whose ex-girlfriend worked for the Rosie O'Donnell show. She booked guests, and he saw it. He got teary-eyed in the studio and said, I want to send that to New York and see what they'll think of this because they like to have kids on the show. I said, well, there's no harm in that. Go ahead. As soon as they got it, within a week, they were on the phone booking a flight for Jared and his family to come to New York City. And, and then right after that, his appearance on the Rosie O'Donnell Show, Toys R Us donated a tractor-trailer load of toys, a local businessman donated a warehouse for them to keep the toys in, and then the donations just started to pour in. And over the next several months, uh, he was invited back to the Rosie O'Donnell Show. He started to get national awards for volunteerism. Uh, like I say, the donations rolled in. And then beyond that, other people said, well, we want to do something like this at our hospital. And there was joy carts in Seattle and Evanston, Illinois and Orlando and St. Louis and, and Louisville and countless other places we don't even know about.
0: Marvin, you're a parent, and I, and through this, I know that you got to know uh, Jarrett's mom and dad very well. What was that relationship like in terms of as it's grown over the years and even now?
1: Yeah. In fact, the, the Minears, Je- uh, Jennifer and Doug Minear and, and Jarrett's sister, Claire, just live a uh, uh, a couple of blocks away from me. (laughs) So I see them quite frequently and that, that made it easy to to write the book because we could get together very quickly and and often to compare notes and they would share scrapbook uh, memories and photos and things. So that, that was very uh, helpful. But uh, yeah, so they became, I feel like I became maybe part of their family and that was not something, you know, they didn't know who I was when I first approached them about doing these stories and, and doing a book. And in fact, they were kind of uncomfortable with it thought, you know, that's a lot of bad stuff to remember. Yeah. And why would anyone want to read a book about a kid with cancer? But uh, I assured them from the beginning, you know, I'm going to show you everything I do to make sure it's mm-hmm. accurate. And if at any time you're just saying this isn't going the way I want it to go, we'll, we'll stop.
0: And I think, too, that's a, it's a daunting task when you think you have a story that is quite grim. Um, at that time, obviously, you didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but Jared has since passed. And, um What was that like when you felt like, well, this is when I'm going to write it. This is why I want to write it. Why was that important to you?
1: Well, I always wanted to write a book, for one thing. And I ran across someone that had a connection with a publisher, a relatively new publisher. And he said, they're looking for true stories. Have you done anything in your career that that could be turned into a book? I didn't have to think very long at all. I thought, well, here's the push I need. I've always wanted to write a book. I know this great story, and it needs to be told. And uh, it, everything just kind of fell into place like it was supposed to.
0: What does it detail in the book? If people haven't read it yet, what does that first one kind of lay out for folks?
1: Well, what I want people to know is it's not all sad. Jarrett was a funny kid, and he had lots of adventures, and that that's all in there. And his mother was just just great about giving me anecdotes. And I wanted to try to make it read like a novel the best I could, not just a medical journal. Or, you know, there are thousands of kids, and people who go through cancer and uh, they all have stories worthy of telling, I suppose. But but Jarrett's was just a little bit more special because of his his wisdom beyond his years and because of this project that, that grew so large. So I uh, actually would sit with Jarrett while well, he was at the clinic receiving his chemotherapy treatments. He would be there for hours at a time. And I would just go and sit with him, and we'd talk, and, and you know, I'd, I'd get little notes and tidbits here and there. But it never really felt like he was being grilled or uh, that, uh, you know, he had to be on pins and needles about what he said or how he acted, and I think that's a that's a reason it all fell together. But it, it, it really outlays all of the time he was growing up, uh, how he how this idea formulated in his head over time about helping other kids. And, and it was really because of all the times he'd been in the hospital and just noticed how many kids got no visitors and no one ever came around to see them. He was lucky. He had lots of friends, lots of relatives, His room was always full of toys and laughter, but he realized that wasn't the case with most of the people in the hospital.
0: I always just think he was just such a little old man in that yeah. body, for sure. <laughs> you published that book in 2002, but sadly, uh, Jared didn't get to enjoy that book and see it come to fruition, right? Well,
1: he did. we did. he did. He, he he. The book came out in the spring. He, okay. died, he died in October. Okay. So he was really failing at that mm-hmm. time, but he did get to see it come to fruition. He got the a copy in his hand, and he went with me to Joseph Beth Booksellers for a book signing. And about 300 people stood in line. I don't think because of me, they came to see Jared. And uh, that was a real joy that he got to see that. Yeah.
0: What made you want to then put out this second, I don't want to call it second book. It's an expanded version of your first. Yeah. But I feel like there was probably so much that you wanted to include and couldn't that it was probably the right time to maybe do that, right?
1: Yeah, right. They, uh, they just celebrated the 20th anniversary of the joy card. So it seemed like a nice milestone to mark. The book actually, the the first publisher went out of business, and so the book was no longer available. And I wanted it to still be available because they use it as a resource and to show people what the joy card is. So it just seemed like the perfect time to try to find a new publisher and put it out. And then I got to thinking about, well, well, look at all that's happened since the first one. It does include the details of his death, Mm -hmm. his remarkable funeral, which was unique in in its own way. And then this major project that developed out of it, that people know today as Dance Blue. They don't realize that the, the roots of that was with Jared Joycart, And so uh, there was a lot of new material that needed to be added. So I do emphasize this isn't really a sequel. Everything that was in the first book is in this one. You don't have to have the first one to get this one. Everything's in there, but with more material, too.
0: You bring up Dance Blue, and if you have never gotten the opportunity to witness that in person or you've never seen it on our newscast, it is incredible— Jared had some lasting things on a list that he wanted to see done. And Dance Blue has now kind of helped what he had on that list continue on, correct?
1: That's how it happened. And and as he knew the end was approaching, he made out a list. These are some things I want my mom and dad to do when I'm not here. Number one, keep the joy cart rolling. But very high on that list was do something nice for the pediatric clinic. Because the clinic where he had gone to was kind of a depressing place. Gloomy, crowded, outdated, no toys for the kids to play with. There, it's just the last place anyone would want to be. So his mom really as a way to deal with her grief just a couple of weeks after the funeral. Got that list out and saw that and thought she was a big thinker just like he was. It wasn't, when it says do something nice for the clinic, well, the best thing you can do is just build a whole new clinic. You know? And she, So she thought big like that, but how does one family do that? They decided there's 20,000 students at the University of Kentucky. We need to find a way to get them involved. And after a lot of brainstorming sessions, the, the, the idea of Dance Blue was born.
0: And now there are dance blues, many camps at elementary schools and middle schools and high schools, and it just continues on. Yeah,
1: it's great. I would encourage anyone. It's it's every February, mm-hmm. and it's a 24-hour dance marathon, and you can stop in for five minutes and just pop in there, and, and you will go away feeling great
0: about And if you've future. never been to the pediatric oncology clinic, and I hope that you never have to go, but if you do, it is the furthest thing from sad and dull these days. It's beautiful, and it's just fun and it's inviting.
1: It is. It's definitely the kind of place Jared would have designed if he could have drawn up a blueprint. And it's called the UK Dance Blue Pediatric Oncology Hematology Clinic. So, rightly name, so, their name is right there.
0: You must have learned some amazing things along the way from Jared, probably from his mom and dad, probably just from this whole process. What would you say about that, Marvin?
1: Well, I mean, Jared's message was simple, but it's it's just the best one for anyone to remember, and it's just. Make every day special. I mean, Jared said, you don't know how many days you're going to have. So I try to make every day special.
0: When you look back and you think, gosh, it's been this long, Jared would be, what, 30? He'd be 30. Yeah. And I often think, what would he have done if he had been able to live a lot longer and have many more years, because I think probably he was the type of kid that even if he'd never gotten sick, he was going to do big things, right? Oh, yeah, for
1: sure. Yeah. There's no telling what he would have done, but he probably had a long list of degrees after his name. <laughs> and when I go to dance blue and I see all those kids down there dancing, I thought, I, I- definitely would have seen Jarrett down there in that crowd.
0: How did this story change you? Because I think a lot of times people just think, again, we tell stories and we move on to the next one. And I find that probably every personal story, there's a little bit that stays with me, whether I like it or not. What has stayed with you about this story and and what made it so personal for you?
1: Well, I think what you said is that we do have to be careful about just letting a story Pass by so quickly, and I've learned to, to go back and review some stories every now and then, and go back and check up on people that I've really that, that made an impression on me. I think we just we need to do that. We need to let people that that make a difference in our life uh, know that we're still thinking about them and checking in on them sometimes. And uh, and uh, you can find out that they've done some pretty incredible things since the last time you met.
0: Yeah, the world is pretty grim these days, and and sometimes we just need more of. Jared's motto and and what Jared was trying to do. Um, have you tried to instill in like your own kids, you know, these kinds of things? Like, look what Jared did when he was this age. Is that something that you're too? I have a feeling this is probably a yes answer, but
1: <laughs> it is a yes answer. But but it is funny to say that my kids haven't read the book and I haven't read it to them yet. And I'm thinking I need to do that. Sure. <laughs> they know about Jared and they know the minears because they're mm-hmm. our neighbors. Uh, of course, and they, they can't go to the hospital when the joy car rolls because you have to be 16, I think, to go to the hospital. But when they get that point, I'm going to make sure they're on the volunteer list.
0: So you've been published twice now, Marvin. Do you think about other stories and other books?
1: I, yeah, I have a couple ideas sometimes that run around in my head. It's it's a it's a daunting task. Um, it it took longer than I thought it would. And naively, I thought oh, I'd knock that out in 90 days. It took about 10 months. And then there's there's just so much involved with uh, you know just a minutia of getting a book out there. But but then in, also in another sense, anybody can write a book now. You don't go to the big publishers anymore. You just pretty much self publish it and, and uh, market it yourself. And, uh, you know, I don't, I didn't expect to be on the New York bestsellers list, but I want it to be available for people just looking for a little inspiration. And yeah, I'd like to do another one. And, uh, One of these days when my life calms down a little bit, I have a couple ideas percolating.
0: Does that ever happen in the news world? (laughs) Well, I'm hoping. Marvin does produce a wonderful segment. I'm going to give him a plug. It's Spirit of the Bluegrass, and it airs weekly, correct? Every Wednesday night. You're getting ready to start a whole new series up. I am, yep. Um, Talk to me about those stories, because I will pass by an edit bay, and I will hear things, or I will see things, and I'm like, what is Marvin up to these (laughs) days? Uh, I often think probably you could write a book just from those. But talk to me about some of those favorite stories that's what people always want to know from us what was your favorite story that you've covered yeah. other than obviously Jared
1: yeah it's hard to pick a favorite but you know we do have to report about drug buffs and car wrecks and fires so much that and everybody has those same stories so the story that makes your newscast different is the features you can go out and find and i've just always been intrigued by funny people interesting people people with neat hobbies uh, great tourist attractions uh when i was small watching those three tv stations growing up i was a big fan of on the road with charles Carroll. thought what a neat job he has just get in an rv and go find stories so i pitched this idea i shoot them myself and write them and edit them and it's just kind of my baby it's hard to pick a favorite but i mean i've had uh, a man who uh, uh imitates chickens for for a living mm-hmm. <laughs> not for a living but for for uh, entertainment money on the side uh, i've had i went to the ventriloquism museum last summer which was kind of fun uh, I it was the, kind
0: of frightening actually yeah, you did steer away yeah. from that one
1: the uh abraham lincoln lookalike alike convention mm-hmm. 50 different abe lincoln's walking around town all at once and it's just fun to to play with those stories and then write uh the, to the video and uh I don't know. They're the kind of stories that I remember, so I hope viewers do, too.
0: And those stories often find you, don't they? I don't think that you probably have to go looking very far. Some of those, those no. fall in your lap, right? My, my, I've
1: been doing it four years now. My wife says, well, you're going to round out of ideas? And I said, here's my list, and there's 80 ideas on there right now. <laughs> I'll not get to them all.
0: We uh, named this Uniquely Kentucky because we wanted to talk to folks that we you know we thought were doing ordinary and extraordinary things. And I always like to ask my guests, what do you think makes us so unique in this state?
1: Oh, that's a deep question. <laughs> it's my adopted state. I'm from West Virginia, mm-hmm. but I've lived here now 30 years. And I I, um, I I guess, and this is the biggest place I've ever lived. So, you know, Lexington's plenty big for me. Mm-hmm. I love that it's a, a mixture of an urban feel and a country feel. And you just go down the road five or 10 miles and you feel like you're in a whole different place. Um, people truly are super friendly here. I mean, it's not a Cliché to say there's Southern hospitality here. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it is cliche to say it's the horses and, and, and the, <laughs> the best love for basketball and the bourbon. And, and, but but it, that is what makes the area unique. And I think so neat when you bring in guests and show them those things and realize how special they think it is, then you realize that we shouldn't be taking it for granted.
0: Last question to you. How thankful are you that someone like Jared came into your life all those years ago? By chance, really. I mean, just a piece of video that comes your way.
1: Yeah. Oh, I I am very thankful because, you know, as you said, there are certain people that stick with you, and, and he sticks with me at all times. Um, everybody knows people who go through tough times who've dealt with cancer. I lost my mom to cancer. And you look at what he did and how he learn to put the sadness aside and look on the positive side of things. And I've had so many people, even adults, that say, once I read that book or met that boy, I've never felt sorry for myself again. You know. And so if that's a lesson that I can hold dear to my own heart, um, it was worth meeting him.
0: You Absolutely. Know? Where do people find your book?
1: Locally, it's uh, on the shelves at Joseph Feth Bookseller, Marketplace on Main in Versailles, Carmichael's Bookstore in Louisville. That's the only place right now with hard copies, but it's online, all the typical places, amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, e-editions for the Nook, the Kindle, Apple Books, all those things.
0: And lastly, if people have one of those great stories for you for Spirit of the Bluegrass, how do they find you? How can they send you a story idea?
1: (laughs) Send me an email uh, to to the Fox website. It would be great. mbartlett at foxlexington.com.
0: Marvin Bartlett, you are a pleasure to work with. I enjoy spending time in the newsroom with you. Likewise. And um, I hope and pray that you write another book sometime soon.
1: Well, thank you. We just want to spread the joy. Keep telling those <laughs> stories. Thanks, Amber.